passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I took some pictures and then I took my money. But I also took a little souvenir. The height requirement for the brand new Crazy Clown Coaster. Now, I thought a day at the fair would be perfect for the entire SmackDown Live roster to bond. But unfortunately, one member of the SmackDown Live locker room doesn't meet the height requirement for the ride. And that person is Daniel Brian. Because if Daniel Bryan, even for one second, tries to come up to my level, he's going to come crashing right back down. Hello, everybody. It is John Pollock back with you for the second consecutive night. Wei Ting is uh, on his vacation. He will be back on Friday when we will be reviewing Captain America Civil War. But tonight, it is a post-wrestling civil union here, as Keep It 2000's Nate Milton has joined Rewind to SmackDown to fill waiting shoes. Welcome back, Nate. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. What is going on, Brother Pollock? I I am honored to to be your guest here for... uh this SmackDown Summit, shall we say. And, and, and I know uh, relations between our two countries have, have been uh, a bit chilly <laughs> as of late. But I'm, I'm hoping that tonight, you know, we, we, can, we can show that there are good people on both sides of the border through this ridiculous wrestling show that we both watch tonight. I am so glad that you and I can be the, uh, the Kim Kardashian and Dennis Rodman of, yes. of you know just relations out there to to bring our two countries apart because i i hate the fact that we have the, this rift with our our good friends south of the border and, and and i think if there's anybody we should be patterning our lives after it it, it should be dennis rodman i mean <laughs> the star the star of double team with jean-claude van damme has taught us nothing if not that uh, you know we we could all use an assist every now and then you know, I have to start this show off with an apology because on Monday night, I was just before this show began uh, when I was re- reviewing Raw. You know, Dennis Rodman is all over CNN. He's in tears. And I just see this tweet from Donald Trump's uh, Twitter account saying that this guy is either delusional or on drugs. And he was glad that he fired him from The Apprentice. And I, I repeated this tweet on the, on the show. And man, a of. Uh, a person that was very adamantly uh, opposed to uh, this tweet contacted me on Tuesday saying, where did you even read that? And I was like, this was like a, a Donald Trump tweet. And I looked this up and yes, Donald Trump did tweet this about Dennis Rodman, but it was in 2014. So this man, <laughs> uh, maybe he's come around on, on Dennis Rodman, but those were his viewpoints in 2014. I don't know what Dennis Rodman was doing uh, four years ago that would necessitate Donald Trump to say he is either delusional or on drugs, but it was not about uh, 
Monday's uh, big uh, interview uh, where Dennis Rodman, of all people, uh, who has been linked to North Korea for years now, maybe he's going to uh, bring some peace to the world. Good for him. Yeah, you could say, John, that he's uh, trying to bring about a, a new world order. <laughs> yes. Yes, he's, uh, he's trying to maybe um, – uh, I'm trying to work in maybe he's a he's like a bull in a china shop, a Chicago bull in a china shop. Uh, I, I don't know what, what more basketball analogies I, I, I mean can make. for for any engine to get going, you you need some pistons. Oh, very very nice, very nice. Well, I, the, I don't know what what we can do for his time with the Spurs. I, I was going to say that this could spur on a different discussion altogether. Ah, <laughs> there we go. Wonderful. <laughs> well, uh, we have lots to discuss here. Um, first of all, before we get into SmackDown, uh, a few news items uh, from today. Uh, this actually was uh, on Monday. Uh, Jeff Hardy was in court, and he pled guilty to driving while impaired. This was after his arrest back in March, uh, where he had lost control of his car. He ran into a guardrail, spun his car out into uh, the highway, and caused a bunch of damage to his car, the guardrail. And it ended up with... Uh, Hardy pleading guilty, so he's going to have his license suspended for four months. He's also got to pay $300 and attend uh, some classes. And it looks like they're going to address this in that 24 special that's going to air on Sunday on the Hardys and uh, some of their their drug issues and arrests in the past. But, uh, Nate, I mean, surprised at all. I mean, this... This arrest happened in March. The WWE made a quick statement about it. He wasn't on the road at the time uh, because he was still healing his injury. Uh, but here he is. He's you know there were no um, repercussions from the WWE. Do you think that you know someone that this happens in their private life, it's taken care of, that the WWE does not have to act upon it, or is there a side of things, especially you know we're we're putting out this documentary on this guy who has had a history of issues that there is. There is that concern, I think, when you hear this about Jeff Hardy and, you know, driving under the influence. It's kind of a similar thing to the discussion about domestic violence in the NFL that that kind of popped up a couple years ago with uh, the Ray Rice incident. Mm -hmm. And how far does the the league go and and how much do they let the law handle, you know, in in terms of what does the employer have an obligation to do and, and what do they need to kind of you know sit back and let the law handle? And for this, I, I think that while Jeff Hardy does have a track record, I am not upset that the WWE did not take any further action because, and I, I think it, a lot goes, John, and maybe I'm reading into this because I like Jeff and mm-hmm. I've always been a fan of Jeff, but I think if somebody is trying to be better, then there there should be some leniency, even though there there should be a punishment attached, uh, rather than somebody that's just going out there and, and not giving a damn. And we've seen Jeff Hardy in not give a damn mode, particularly you know back in TNA, and some of the stuff he was going through back then. Uh, this seems like a, I wouldn't say a different guy, but maybe a guy that's learned from some of those mistakes. And he had a setback, you know, he had a a slip up. Unfortunately, nobody was hurt except for the car. And, and, you know, he suffered some injuries, but nobody else was affected by his bad decisions. Uh, But I mean, that's that's kind of the risk you you run when you bring in a guy who's had issues like Jeff Hardy has. You know, he's great at the box office, but by the same token, he's not a guy you can make the focal point of your show because there is a chance that you know he could relapse or he could backslide, uh, but for this instance, I, I'm 
I'm cool with what the WWE did or, or in this case, didn't do. Yeah, I mean, I look at it from the sense of, you know, there's a reason we have uh, punishment. There is a reason that there is action taken. And to me, it should be at the root of it all is that it is a rehabilitation process. Like there is a punishment for this that is hopefully going to rectify your life if you are on a bad path. And in a lot of cases, um, that that moment of clarity is sometimes being uh, a financial hit or a suspension of sorts that kind of wakes you up. I mean, Jeff Hardy has had a, an incredibly uh, arduous last decade. Uh, when you look at all of the, the things that this guy ha- has undergone and been to rehab, I think first and foremost, I think people just want to know that this guy is not um, going down that path again. And this is concerning to me. And I guess just looking at, you know, he pleads guilty to this. It was a very minor sentence. And maybe I just look at it from the the standpoint of of the law, of what came down on him, that I, I, I take drinking and driving, like, pretty seriously. Like, it's, yeah. it's something where you are putting other people's lives at risk because of, of your own issues. And I, I guess that's just something that I hope this was enough of a deterrent to Jeff Hardy and... I thought it was pretty off-putting, the fact that when they did that that table for four uh, a couple of weeks back, mm. right yes. away, they make a joke about it. And that, to me, was just like, it's drinking and driving is never funny. And that that's how that table for four s- spot starts. Like, it's just weeks after this incident happened. It happens, he was arrested March 10th, and that was WrestleMania weekend, so just a couple weeks later. And, yeah, I just think, like... That kind of attitude towards drinking and driving, uh, that's kind of off-putting to me. Like, oh, it's its Jeff being Jeff. You know what I mean? That's thats almost kind of how it felt watching that table for four. Well, I think part of it is, you know, Jeff Hardy is a guy from, I don't want to say bygone era, but he's kind of a remnant of an attitude and a climate in the business that is not as prevalent as it once was, you know, back in the 80s and the 90s and the early 2000s, where, you know, you live the rock star lifestyle. And that's not as big of a thing today as it was, you know, at the height of the Attitude Era. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's kind of like you want the best for these guys, especially, again, somebody like Jeff, who it's like, damn, despite him being a screw up and maybe having some self-destructive tendencies, you want the best for the guy. And, you know, you, you see him making strides and, and it's almost like a two steps forward, one step back type of deal with him and, and his path to recovery and his path to living a clean life. And so it's it's like, man, come on, like, like, get it together. I'm glad nobody was hurt in this situation. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I, I don't think I would want to see the company kind of maybe overstep their boundaries and really hammer this guy, uh, because I don't think that helps in the situation either. Do you last thing on, on Jeff? Do you feel that the recent arrest, or maybe just any of his, you know, past issues with the law, it like they will push him to a level in the WWE? He is yeah. like you can clearly see, like he is featured on SmackDown, but he's not in that that main mix. And you could make the argument when he came back last year that Jeff is someone that you that could get over in a top uh, babyface role. Do you think that? That at all, the company is hesitant to push him beyond where he's at right now, which is U.S. championship level. I mean, I think you have to take into account not only some of the choices he's made in his life, but also the wear and tear on his body, the the age. You know, how much can you really count on a guy that is 
in his early 40s, I believe. Yeah, I think he's right at 40. I'll pull up the age here. But, yeah, he's, he's right around that, that neighborhood. Yeah, I think it all comes into play. And so I think the level that he's at right now, it works for him. He's somebody that is a featured player, but he's not your main guy. He's not AJ Styles. He's not Nakamura. He's not even somebody like a Samoa Joe at this point. So, yes, you use him. Yes, you you know can have him as your U.S. champ and maybe – uh, on a, on a main event of a SmackDown down the road, you know he challenges for the title, but he doesn't win, and you can build a show around that. But I don't think you should be putting Jeff Hardy in 2018 at the top of your card. But he's certainly still a valuable and viable commodity. Yeah, he turns 41 at the end of August, so 40 years old yeah. right now. Um, another story, um, which is a very interesting one from the Baltimore Business Journal, they interviewed. Uh, CEO Chris Ripley of the Sinclair Broadcast Group, which I would imagine when the CEO of Sinclair is doing interviews, I'm sure it's a welcome change to not be talking about uh, politics or some of the tactics of his company and instead do an interview about pro wrestling. It's like, sure. Uh, So anyway, um, they were interviewed. I guess this was based off of the recent television deals that were made. And in this interview, it was revealed that Ring of Honor is planning to run a show at Madison Square Garden in 2019. And goes on to add, um, as part of Sinclair's plans to grow Ring of Honor and take advantage of a very passionate fan base, Ripley said the promotions events are starting to take place at large venues. A show set to take place this year in Chicago sold out 10,000 seats in less than an hour. And then it adds about Ring of Honor planning a Madison Square Garden show next year. Uh, stating it's a big move because in wrestling circles, MSG is considered a home arena for WWE. And then as well, when he was asked about ever selling Ring of Honor, uh, stated that uh, Ripley said he was encouraged by the value placed on entertainment, but added that Sinclair does not plan to sell Ring of Honor. We are typically buyers, not sellers, Ripley said. That said, I would never say no to someone who wants to pay a stupid price. (laughs) <laughs> Man, there was a lot to this. This was like a very small uh, story, but so much packed into this. Uh, number one, let's start with uh, the Madison Square Garden show. Nate, I cannot imagine um, them running Madison Square Garden on anything other than WrestleMania weekend. That, to me, would be the only logical weekend uh, to run such an event when you have so many people in town for WrestleMania. And what a big way to make a splash than by running Madison Square Garden, which is not part of any of the WWE's WrestleMania plans next year when they're in uh, New York and New Jersey. Definitely. It's like the the concentrated essence of your hardcore fans who, who are going to be in that city. And yeah, you, you'd want to take you, you'd be silly not to take advantage of that. Uh I think MSG is not what it once was in the world of sports, but that name still carries cachet. Yes. Uh, and, and so I think that it's a it's a good move for Ring of Honor. We've seen that there is a market out there if you have the right names involved for wrestling that is not WWE. And so, yeah, man, I, I more power to them. I hope that they uh, do well with this financially because – the WWE can't be the be-all and end-all. And I, while I don't begrudge them that Fox deal, my big hope for that is that the rising tide will kind of lift all boats and there's more interest in a Ring of Honor 
or, you know, in a New Japan or, or even, you know, TNA or Impact Wrestling, whatever they call it this week. I hope that there is, I hope that there is a greater interest in wrestling on television and, you know, everybody can get paid out of this thing and, and that'll give more choice and more options for the fans. Yeah, I'd be very curious, too, if Madison Square Garden kind of feels as though they've been kind of passed over by the WWE because, you know, the the big reason Madison Square Garden is such a daunting venue to book is just because it is so expensive uh, to rent such a place. Yeah. I mean, Bellator just ran it, and that was, you know, that was a big talking point at the time, how expensive it is uh, to rent. Uh, I would be curious if they, if they just want to make uh, a big splash here that they would somehow lower their their rental space they have to use uh yeah they're the workers there like the production workers it's like a, a union state so um it's very expensive to run i don't know if ring of honor would get any kind of a a kickback to run the arena or if they're just going to make a big investment here and let's be honest if sinclair wants to invest like it's a it's a penny in the grand scheme of things for them to book a madison square garden um to me, it would be WrestleMania weekend would be the one that makes the most sense. And I think yep. I, I think it's a risk worth taking, Nate. Like, I would be very curious how well they could do WrestleMania weekend. You would assume it would be it would be probably head to head with takeover. So you'd be facing competition um, unless you opted for a night where you avoid that competition. But regardless, there's going to be competition in the city for with wrestling yeah. fans. But if you can put a loaded ROH show with New Japan talent and potentially, you know, you just make it an all-star show um, and just the novelty of a non-WWE show at Madison Square Garden, I'm very curious how they would how they would do at the Garden. I mean, it's a cliche. It's a trope uh, that, you know, you got to spend money to make money, but it's true. And I think if you kind of want to get at the big boy table, not saying that this single event would put Ring of Honor in any type of equal footing with the WWE. But if you want to be, you know, in the discussion, in the in the atmosphere uh, around, you know, some of these TV deals and, and, and some of these, you know, increased interest in, in, in wrestling, you know, you, you got to spend money. And I think this would be a cool event. Yes, there's a lot of competition, but that is the one weekend of the year or damn damn near a week now at, at this point with all the events going on that you're not going to oversaturate the wrestling fan that's in the city you know they're they're going to be looking for for viable options they're going to be looking for as much quality wrestling as they can and if you can put together a good show you'll you'll i'm not going to say you'll sell out but uh you know you'll 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 make some money and you're gonna definitely get the attention of the yep. wwe like that is a that is like running up to the WWE and screaming in their ear if they book <laughs> Madison Square Garden. Um, and as well, like kind of just a throwaway line in there, but maybe not so throwaway. Like that's very much in that interview. The Sinclair really positions all in that like that's a Ring of Honor show. Mm. And I, I think that you, you look at uh, I, I don't think enough has really uh, come out about, you know, that Ring of Honor is is working with them. But, um, you know, th there it is from from Sinclair's side that like they look at all in as like their show that they are running. All in to me is, is very interesting. It's, it's going to be, I don't, I don't want to say a, a test uh, test subject or, or a case study or, or anything like that, but maybe seeing the fallout and the ramifications from something like that and how it will, will it be able to affect other promotions or will this be an isolated thing? 
you know, with these particular set of players and this particular city and this particular fan base? Or will other people kind of be able to replicate it after, after we see what happens there? Uh, all interesting questions. I think that the next um, fr- from now through all of 2019, I mean, it's I, I can't imagine what this industry is going to look like uh, 12 to 18 months from now, because I think it's going to go through through so many changes and um, that all in show, I think it's uh, an extremely important one. And exactly to your point, what is the fallout of an event like that? What is the ripple effect it has throughout the industry uh, going into next year? I think it's fascinating. So anyway, that is our, our news portion as we uh, segue into SmackDown where on Tuesday night, they were at the FedEx forum in Memphis, Tennessee. And we would see if this show would deliver at the FedEx forum. Page is in the ring for the, I guess, most important summit of the week with Becky Lynch, Charlotte Flair, Naomi, and Lana. No ladders. Unfortunately, they had to stand. Unfortunately. That, that was my first thought. As soon as this show came on the air, I was like, oh, thank God there's no ladders because I, I couldn't take it again. If, 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 if we got a repeat of last night, I might have had to uh, uh, take some sleeping pills real quick, John, and... <laughs> I wouldn't be able to make this one for you. It's tough to see. Uh, it's impossible to see, actually, because this is an audio podcast. But me and Nate are both in our garages sitting on ladders as we record this podcast. Uh, Paige says she doesn't care who wins as long as it's one of them bringing the briefcase to SmackDown. Lana cut a promo, minus the accent. It's completely gone here, Nate. <laughs> so this week she is not uh, of Russian descent. Uh, Naomi threatened to snatch her bald and... Uh, then Lana just laughs, saying, ha, 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 we don't do hair versus hair stipulations on this show. And then Naomi brings up winning the WrestleMania Women's Battle Royal, which was uh, everyone just suddenly remembering this. Charlotte says that Naomi only won because she was not in the match, and she goes off to list all the titles she has won, but has never won the Money in the Bank contract. And then Becky's the last one to speak up and mentions that she was the first woman drafted to SmackDown and the first SmackDown Women's Champion, but she's sick of the past tense and is going to grab the contract to cash it in. She's going to go through everyone and anyone, including her best friend, Charlotte, who she beat last week. This prompted the Iconics to then come out, and they said it would take a miracle for any of them to bring the briefcase to SmackDown. Peyton did an impression of Becky, mentioning Quinoa, and was booed for this. Billy then mocked Charlotte and was... Uh, then making fun of Naomi's dancing, and they get cut off by Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville, and they stated that the talent outside the ring is superior to the talent inside. Becky did her impression of Royce, and then they all brawled on the floor, and as they're brawling, we just calmly cut to the announcers who just set up SmackDown for us as these women are theoretically just killing one another on the floor, and this would lead, Nate, to the largest women's tag in SmackDown Mm. history. A historic show you are sitting in on. I mean, I, I am blessed to be so lucky to to be here for a night that will be remembered for the ages. <laughs> but this this opening segment, John, it was a tale of two halves. Like the first half where we had the Money in the Bank participants in the ring, I wasn't too keen on. It's nothing against the women involved, but it was just a lot of... I'm going to tell you my resume and this and that. And it was exposition mania running wild. And I wasn't really. Remember that this segment, Nate, was promoted a week in advance. This Yes. They announced this last week. And I can almost be sure that they had no idea until the day of what they were going to do with this segment until uh, 
I think all the time it probably happens that they just promote these segments and then it's, well, we got to figure out what we're doing. Because like, there was no substance here to no. the first half. And it didn't get good until the Iconics came out and they got the, like, even the crowd responded to them. And, and I, I love uh, their ability on the mic, uh, their ability in the ring, and eh, not so much, but it, it brought different energy to the segment. And at the end of the day, it, it did what it needed to do. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't the best segment, uh, I've seen on a wrestling program this week, but it was better than the opening of Raw. So it's, Hands it's got down. that going for it. Yes, definitely. Uh, they showed highlights of the Occupy Raw segment because it took place in this arena on March 30th, 2014, where a hundred WWE employees wore yes t-shirts for Daniel Bryan to get him his big match at WrestleMania that year. And then they just showed Shelton Benjamin beating Randy Orton two months ago. And Brian is skipping rope in the back and just starts yelling out yes, presumably to himself. Do you ever do this in the gym, Nate? Is this just uh, Brian's, uh, I, I guess, what, what a strange uh, backstage warm-up segment this was. So sometimes you got to psych yourself up, John. And, and uh, you know, I was, I was impressed here with Daniel Bryan's rope jumping ability like it was I'm, very fast like incredible I say, like I, I know how to jump rope like at a normal pace but i've never been able to do like the boxing thing where you go really fast and you go around your legs like that that to me i, I respect that there was apparently a video of daniel bryan stating that he could um i think he said that he could submit mike jackson the fighter who just beat cm punk mm. Uh, Daniel Bryan even joking about having a mixed martial arts fight is frightening and something I never want to hear this man ever address. And I know he trains. I do not want to ever see this man uh, toy with the idea of a legitimate fight where punches would be thrown at his head. Uh, could, could he even get sanctioned? I would highly doubt it. Um, because Not just the concussions um, that he has had, but he had a, um, a torn retina years ago as well mm -hmm. that... I, I think he would. I, I think it would definitely be uh, a difficulty in him getting sanctioned for many reasons. Uh, thankfully, I don't think that's going to be uh, a big predicament for him. Uh, Daniel Bryan. They did show his uh, promo from last week that was on the website. I don't know what it is, but the, man, WWE.com is getting like all the money drawing stuff. I mean, we get these spirited babyface promos. We get uh, Baron Corbin shaving his head bald. I mean, yep. Uh, can, can, you imagine, can you imagine if World Class had a website in 1982 when uh, Michael Hayes shut the steel cage door on Ric Flair's head? They probably wouldn't have even aired it on the show. They would have just put it on the website. Ah, oh, see now, now that now I just want to go back in time, and and you know we we got great footage of of Missy Hyatt and Sunshine in the Mud, but you got to go to WorldClass.com. <laughs> it's gonna take you a while. We don't have the best service uh. in 1984. <laughs> Can you imagine just if, like, the Baron Corbin thing, I just I just couldn't understand it. Like, just anything. You could have done, like, Bobby Lashley, the guy who shaved Vince McMahon's head. It's just like he he, he does a match with Baron, and he, he shaves his head, and God forbid it's something positive for Bobby Lashley. Uh, it's just, mm. just anything. Like, they could have done anything, and it would have been better than just, here's a website exclusive of this guy shaving his head. Well, as you noted last night, John, there's been a lot of obstacles put in Bobby's way. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, shaving heads should be the least of his problems. 
Daniel Bryan took on Shelton Benjamin. I, I thought this was a, a, a really entertaining television match. And the yes. story was Shelton going after Bryan's knee uh, after dropping it onto the announcer's desk and then applying a half crab. Bryan fought to the rope and then he drop kicks Benjamin's knee and hits him with some leg kicks, a dragon screw leg whip. Uh, Benjamin comes back. He hits a superplex. Pay dirt gets blocked and Bryan holds onto the rope. He goes for the yes lock, but Bryan, uh, the grip is broken. Benjamin goes back to the half crab and Brian rolls to his back and turns it into the heel hook, submitting Shelton Benjamin at 10 minutes and six seconds. So I, I really like this. I thought this was a really fun television match and just further emphasis on the heel hook. Yeah. And, and this was one of the things that caught my attention going into the show. You know, we had like the graphics at the beginning of what's going to be on SmackDown tonight. And, and we had Daniel Bryan and Shelton Benjamin was one of the matches. Knock and Jeff Hardy was one of the matches. And then they, highlighted uh, Rusev and uh, Samoa Joe. And I'm like, okay, give me three solid matches that, that anchor the show. You build build uh, everything around that, and, you know, you got me. You know, it's not like, again, I hate to be doing this, and I, I have a feeling I might be going back to this well many times uh, this week, but it's not like Raw, where we're just filling time. And sometimes it seems like we're aimlessly filling time. At least I've, I know what we're, we're, we're in for this week. And, yeah, I thought this was a very solid TV match, uh, a good pairing. Uh, and at this point, it was at this point in the show, John, where I kind of came around on Daniel Bryan because I haven't liked a lot of how he's been used thus far in the comeback. It's it's a little too much, but I understand he wants to be just a, you know, a regular guy on the roster. But I felt that it it cost him some of that special attraction feel. Yes. But if he can do matches like this every week, and you know Daniel Bryan is going to be my guaranteed ten minute awesome TV match, and that's his role on this show to give me the wrestling on this wrestling show, I can live with that. Yeah, I I'm with you. Like I feel I. I feel I think the best usage of Brian is counter to how Brian wants to be used. I think he wants to be a, a guy wrestling on TV every single week. To me, Brian would be a special attraction wrestler for me. That is a really big deal when he does wrestle almost like yeah. Chris Jericho is right now in new Japan, where it's a big deal just that this guy is wrestling. Um, but that's, that's not the case. And uh, I, I thought this was a really good television match though. And I mean, to to the point about Raw, where you will see stuff on this show where it, it often does feel as though we're just filling time. Here's a show that they have to drop stuff this week. Like, they had promoted Sin Cara, Andrade, Cien, yes. Almas, and I'm sure today they were putting the show together and realized, well, we, we got to cut something. And, it, hey, to their credit, they could have just said, hey, we promoted this. We can give them two minutes, and we can give Brian and Benjamin four or five minutes. And instead, they, they gave Brian and Benjamin the time that that match needed because Brian uh, winning with the heel hook. He's a pushed character that's got a pay-per-view match. Uh, so, I mean, SmackDown, it's the opposite, where they almost have to edit themselves because they have mm. so many performers, and you can't squeeze everyone in on a weekly basis. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Uh, Paige was backstage. Met up with Asuka, and she wants Carmella tonight. So Paige makes it an even bigger women's tag <laughs> match tonight. It's gone from eight to ten women tonight, and we get the biggest ten-woman tag in history. Well, I guess the biggest tag, period, of uh, involving the females on SmackDown. Then she walks up to The Miz, who is dressed up as a referee, and he's 
auditioning for some movie that he called Rough Rough Ref, <laughs> which I could totally buy as a WWE Studios release. And he wants to be the referee for Samoa Joe and Rusev. And Paige calls him on it, saying, you just want to take out your competition and stir the pot. So what does Paige do? <laughs> she makes the exact... She grants the request and gives Miz the opportunity to be the referee and fuck with Rusev and Joe. I didn't really understand the segment at all, <laughs> Nate. I, I don't know what was the... Uh, what was the... What Paige was aghast over and, and why she mm. just acquiesced to the Miz's demand. So, you see, we were coming at this segment from two different perspectives, John. Like you were coming from it, coming at it from a logical perspective and, and wondering what Paige's motivations were, while I was just kind of sitting back and enjoying the fact that in 2018 we were getting a Santa's Little Helper reunion. <laughs> unannounced, unadvertised, and you know it's it's like when the Beatles came back together. You know, I, I don't remember when that happened. It was, I think, it was on some rooftop. Uh, uh, somebody fact check me. But when the Beatles came back together in this hypothetical scenario that I might be wrong about, it was a big deal, John. And and the, sure, the notes might not have been right. Sure, Ringo probably missed a couple beats here and there. But you don't, you know, look greatness in the face and and not appreciate it. So I was happy that that Mike Mazan and and, and Paige were reunited here. And, and this might have been my favorite segment of the show, John. Yes. Uh, Santa's a little helper, folks. So uh, f- coming off the WWE holding a massive convention to make their case for being up for Emmy nominations, uh, go watch Santa's a little helper or maybe get an advanced script for Rough, Rough, Rough. <laughs> uh, we had a, a long recap of the Styles Nakamura feud with all of the bullshit finishes and the history of this feud dating back throughout most of this year. And then Jerry Lawler came out because we're in Memphis. Yes. Uh, Corey Graves plugged the bar and grill that Jerry Lawler runs on Beale Street, and he introduces AJ, who comes out, and we got the same interview set up as last week with Big Cass, the old school uh, interviewer and interviewee on the stage with the audience behind them. I really like that they've brought this back. I think it looks different, and it's a bit of a throwback, uh, but it's not like you need to – it's not like this is just a nostalgic segment. It's just like a cool different shot to do an interview in. I, I, I like that they're – introducing this and doing it on SmackDown and not Raw. Just something mm. small to be different. Yeah, and I, I think that it adds to kind of the, the variety that we see on SmackDown as opposed to Raw, which feels a bit more static, feels a bit more staged, even though they're both staged programs. But I, I even though Jerry Lawler didn't do a whole hell of a lot on this episode, it was cool <laughs> to see King and you know having him, like you said, in that classic kind of mean Gene Okerlund spot out there um, in the arena. It it added, it made this segment better than it probably should have been when we get to uh, AJ's promo. Yeah, so Lawler, Lawler complimented AJ slapping Nakamura last week because it was just like he him slapping Andy Kaufman, uh, except this got no media coverage last week. <laughs> and AJ said Nakamura got under his skin. This is what men do. This is what we do. And if Nakamura wants to act like a child, AJ's going to continue to act like a man. The last man standing. Mm. His music played. I got ready for the next note of this uh, segment. But that was it. That was all. Yep. So, uh, simple. Very simple. Yeah. And, and I, you know, John, if you'll allow me, I know this, this might be a, a keep it 2000 uh, 
trope here, but I'm going to throw a flag on the play on AJ Styles. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to uh, add up the bumps in this segment because there were there were clearly none. <laughs> The Styles Bump Challenge. But no, I, I want to throw a flag on AJ because he said this is what men do in reference to him slapping Nakamura last week. And as a man who's, who's been a man for a while on this planet, John Pollock, slapping is not like that's that's not cool in, in the in the man code book. Like if you and I had a disagreement that came to blows, if you punch me and, you know, we, we, we tussle. After it's all said and done with, I can respect you, John Pollock. But if you come in and you slap me. That's disrespectful, John. I can't look at you the same way after that. What if it was a uh, a Nate Diaz Stockton slap? Is that oh. is that is that graded on a on a higher scale? Maybe of that, respect. Yes, that that is that is more respectful than than just you know kind of the open handed. I challenge you to a dual slap. Yeah, if they do, maybe like those uh, Minoru Suzuki Tomohiro Ishii slaps. I Ooh. mean that that would get my attention. If you if you slap me with one of those, Nate, I'm going down and I'm not coming up. Yes, but yeah, what AJ did last week was more like a Real Housewives, like <laughs> like <laughs> loving hip hop slap. Did you write that opening segment on Raw? <laughs> the Real Housewives oh, of I... WWE. Maybe AJ was auditioning here. <laughs> so. <laughs> Anyway, uh, on a scale of 1 to 10 in terms of uh, Jerry Lawler usage in Memphis, uh, this scored a nice 3 for me. It was, uh, <laughs> you know, the it was nice of them to incorporate him into the show. Like, this, yes. they, they only announced this, like, this afternoon. So I assume they, they got confirmation Jerry was coming to the show. It's like, ah, let's use him on the show. And I'm glad they did. Uh, the Miz is uh, getting referee lessons in the back. And then we uh, got the announcement next week, or sorry, on Sunday, the Bludgeon Brothers will take on Anderson and Gallows on the kickoff show. Uh, so the big, uh, I guess it's only going to be one match on the kickoff show and not two. So looks like the uh, Matt Hardy, Bray Wyatt match with uh, the B team is going to get onto the actual show, if that means anything. Yes, yeah, so, it should. They're coming off a of momentum from that barbecue a couple weeks ago. Oh, yes. Yeah, there was a lot of momentum uh, filling up Raw on Monday. Samoa Joe took on Rusev with Miz as the referee. Aiden English came out completely fine after being kicked in the throat last week by Jimmy Uso and teasing that he had lost his voice. He was completely fine. Did the intro for Rusev, and then Tom Phillips got in a great line comparing Aiden English to that famous hip-hop star, mm. John Mayer. <laughs> Yes, I, I enjoyed that. And and while we're here, John, before we get into the match, I got to say, this is something that makes SmackDown better for me and more enjoyable as a fan than Raw as well. The announcers are I, funny. I like the announce, the announce team better here. I do. A hundred percent more. I, like, I like even Corey Graves. Like, I think Corey Graves works better here than he does on Raw. A million percent. I, I, I think Byron Saxton has... I, I really like him as the third man on, the, on this announce team. I would say... Uh, I, I completely like they, it is night and day from the raw announced team that just aggravates me to no end. And it's just refreshing. It's like three buddies on SmackDown. Yeah, yeah, even, that's the thing. Even when they take shots at each other, it feels like, you know, the big brother picking on the little brother rather than on raw where it felt like, yeah, these guys might actually come to blows in the parking lot. <laughs> yes. Uh, joking. A lot of open hand slaps going on in the parking lot. Oh, Yes. Uh, Joe came out with his uh, new haircut, uh, the Joe Hawk, as I'd like to call it. Mm. Yeah. He, he, he Did he have this prior to tonight? Because I've just not noticed the, the hair growth that he's been uh, has been morphing into uh, 
other than maybe he grew this in incredibly quick fashion over the past week. Yeah, you're, you're right, because I think last time we saw him, it felt like he had less hair, and then this week it looked like he had Samoa. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, he's got like the, I, I don't know, some incredible growth here. Um, he hit a tope suicida, went through the commercial break. Uh, Miz was having a real problem with his earpiece that was just dangling around, and he finally had to put it underneath his shirt. Um, yeah, this guy did not transition well as a referee. Can't even work his earpiece. Uh, crowd was chanting Rusev Day after he hit a machka kick. Uh, or he missed the machka kick. And Joe goes for the coquina clutch. Aiden gets onto the apron, distracting the Miz. So Joe knocks English off the apron. You're an Augie to Rusev. But Miz has also gone down in all of this, and he won't count. He starts arguing with Joe. Joe then squeezes the Miz's hand, and <laughs> Rusev comes from behind with a machka kick, and he pins Samoa Joe. At 9.42, as Graves confirms, Rusev picking up some much-needed momentum. Mm. That momentum meter was surging here. Rusev, who has now pinned Joe and Daniel Bryan, leading into Money in the Bank. These better not be trivial losses, is all I'm going to say. Because I would not be pinning Joe for no reason. But we will see what they do here uh, with Rusev on uh, Sunday. And at the end of this show, we're going to quickly go through the card. And we will see what Nate's uh, prognostication is uh, for Rusev in the Money in the Bank ladder match. But uh, what did you think of this match? I enjoyed it. Um, And correct me if I'm wrong. I'm sure you'd have a better recollection of this than I, John. Is this the, the first singles match we've seen between these two? Or have they had another one? Uh, this is what they called it the first time ever, but I feel first time ever is a frequent uh, statement used. I I don't recall these two ever having a match together, uh, unless it was a house show, perhaps. Okay. But yeah, it just felt like, and, and that's the thing we saw with a lot of these matches on SmackDown tonight and in previous weeks, the matchups feel fresh, where as opposed to another show, which I'm not going to mention because I feel I'm piling on at this point. It feels like we've seen the same guy cycle through over and over and over again. Whereas this, I enjoyed seeing Rusev and Joe in there just kind of going at it. They had a, yeah, they had a six man tag, but that was Joe and Rusev teaming together. So there's no record here of a Joe Rusev singles match. You know, all these first time ever matches, they mean very little to me. What I want, Nate, are some last time ever matches. Mm. Those, those could have, that will pique my like interest. Like with, with us. Uh, Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens when they had that that last time ever match and never wrestled again. <laughs> yeah, and until they needed a match very quickly afterwards, and <laughs> they had one on Raw. Uh, Rusev then attacked Joe with a ladder afterwards, uh, set it up in the middle, and goes to climb. But Miz uh, yanked English off the apron and came from behind, laying out Rusev with a skull crushing finale. He eyes the briefcase, takes the briefcase. He also posed, and his referee shirt had the initials VKM on them for whatever reason. I don't know if Vince is coming out with a line of referee shirts. Um, so he goes up to Byron with the briefcase, and Miz is treating this like he's won the actual Money in the Bank briefcase. Yeah. And Byron opens up the briefcase. It's full of pancakes, and the Miz transformed into Dr. Claw. As he started yelling, (laughs) New Day, and just was so comically over the top. It was ridiculous. And then we cut to the New Day backstage, laughing about their plot uh, being executed to perfection, while Kofi and Xavier shared a t-shirt. All right, yeah. So the match, I enjoyed (laughs) this post-match, John Pollock. It started off well. You know, I enjoyed the usage of the ladder, and it made sense. And Miz, you know, getting his come, uh, getting the 
one up on the other guys at the end. It made sense. But then when we get to him grabbing the briefcase, looking furiously for the contract, which probably wasn't even in there to begin with, amongst this stack of pancakes, and then, like you said, shaking his fist William Shatner style and looking up to the sky screaming New Day, it it was just, you know, we went a step too far. It'd be like, you know, you watched uh, Winter Soldier with Way. With Way. I did. And it would be like, we've got this great movie, Winter Soldier. You know, we've seen the action. We've seen Steve Rogers and Captain America throughout this whole show. But then at the end of the movie... Wait, is, Steve Rogers, and, is Steve Rogers in that one? I think he is. He, he has a minor role. He has a minor role. Uh, but at the that, end of the that, movie... That was my, my John Mayer moment uh, a month ago. <laughs> And instead of, you know, Bucky, uh, you know, doing what he did and, and helping Cap at the end of the movie, Bucky puts on a big parka and he's like, "Ooh, I'm so cold because I'm the winter soldier. Get it? It's cold. You know, just like you, you, you had something great and you took me out of it. And to have Miz act so over the top and then the New Day just laughing like idiots for 25 seconds it it didn't really work with what we'd already established in the course of the match yeah i think they i think they feel with the miz that they can put him in any situation and he's going to make it work but i think miz has most, got, most times he does to to, yeah, to be fair he does he's you know he's a very good performer i'm not going to knock him but i think his his performances have been very good that i think there comes a point where you have to decide is this guy somebody that we see at the absolute highest level, or is it someone that we see as comedy fodder that can be pushed to a certain point? And I think you could argue that The Miz has kind of outgrown being the the punchline to a segment like this over pancakes. Yes, and, and I also yeah. think you could say the same thing about The New Day or, or one person in The New Day to be particular. It's like, yes, I understand these guys are funny, but – there's got to be more. There's got to be some substance to – there's got to be some pancakes underneath that syrup. It just can't be all syrup. Oh, wow. Look at that. A wonderful pancake analogy. I love it. Uh, then that's, should... how, that's how Biggie splits off from the New Day. I'm tired of just being syrup. I want to be pancakes. He's batter off alone. Mm. I've outused that batter line too many times. i got to stop it. Uh, they showed the highlight of the Hardys returning at WrestleMania last year. And this was the only reason was for Tom Phillips to get in an ultimate thrill ride reference in 2018 <laughs> as Jeff hit a swanton off the ladder, putting Seamus through one. And it feels like a lifetime ago um, that this uh, occurred and also dawned on me as we go into this next match that Jeff Hardy has nothing coming up on Sunday at the the, the pay-per-view yeah. that is built around ladders. And was this where they showed the ad for the uh, 24 special as well? Yes, they did. What? Um, I, I talked about it briefly on Rewind to Raw, but what did you think of this uh, this trailer? And in particular, Christian's line, which was kind of the the heavy line of the the trailer yeah. that they aired. I really because this see this is the first time I've seen it because I was halfway watching Raw last night. Uh, but Can't imagine <laughs> how did that not have your undivided attention? I mean. You know, we, we've all got, you know, things to do on Monday nights. And then I was had one eye on Raw and one eye on what I had to get done for work. And then so tonight I was focused. I was locked in on SmackDown and I saw this uh, ad for the special and I thought it was really good, really well done. Uh, I liked that they, you know, got the footage from Impact. Uh, it, it You know, most of the 24s have been good. Like it's hard to pick out a bad one, uh, but I think this one 
at least for me as a fan of the Hardys, looks like it could be one of the better ones. I think it's going to be very interesting. It looks like, well, there is going to be impact footage all over it. Like they had the GWN logo yep. uh, in this commercial. And yeah, Christian. They had the Hardy, the broken Hardy stuff, the, the the good broken Hardy stuff. Yeah, I I can't imagine if they have impact footage and they're going to really dive into all of the problems these two had. I don't know how you don't address the Jeff Hardy sting match mm. uh, from Victory Road yeah. in 2011, I believe that was. And. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot there. You've got Sting there to talk about it. True, yeah. Um, So I I think that one's going to be, yeah, very good. And especially having Edge and Christian on, not to talk about just all the ladder matches and stuff. Because, you know, I, uh, you know, enjoyed all of their matches and stuff. But I feel those ladder matches, the TLC matches, I I don't think I can. It's it's approaching Montreal level for how much I've heard about the TLC Mm. matches. That I'll be happy to hear them all talk about other topics. Um, anyway, so that's yeah, coming that, up. That was the thing I was least interested in when they were showing the uh, ad, when they started talking about the ladder match. I was like, mm, I've heard, heard oh, this it's before. It's like, you've, you've heard it all. Like, let's, uh, there, there's plenty of, you know, all of those performers, they've all done stuff post TLC. Like they've all yeah. gone on to have very successful careers that anyway, uh, it looks very good. It's airing Sunday night after money in the bank. And, uh, I'm sure Wayne and I will discuss it probably next Monday. Um, after people have had a chance to see it. Uh, Jeff Hardy took on Shinsuke Nakamura, and Nakamura challenged him to come to the floor. This led to Hardy sending him into the barricade and hitting a flying clothesline off the apron. They came back. Nakamura was in control, and as he went for the running knee to the ribs, Hardy snapped his neck on the top and then landed the whisper in the wind onto Nakamura. Goes to climb, but his knee is hurt. Nakamura stops him. He hits the running knee to the ribs, sets up for the Kinshasa, but Hardy stops him, hits the twist of fate, and then lands the Swanton, but his back is injured, so he can't capitalize and go for the cover. He rolls on top of Nakamura after the delay, who gets his foot on the bottom rope, and then Jeff Hardy takes off his shirt, and he gets the monstrous paw. Well, I won't say monstrous, but I'm just amazed that even in 2018, <laughs> like Jeff Hardy takes his shirt off. On a roster that has, you know, guys like Tony Nese, for Christ's sake. And <laughs> I mean, no offense to Jeff Hardy. I mean, he, he doesn't look like uh, awful or anything. But I mean, really, or if you were a woman, would you be just so uh, uninhibited to just scream in an entire arena at this man taking his shirt off? I mean, I was more focused on the double standards and the, the inequities of life because Jeff Hardy does this at work and he's cheered. I do this at work and I'm called <laughs> into the office for, you know, for this, this is inappropriate. And so, yeah, but again, it's, it's something about Jeff Hardy, man. And I think this is a guy that has never really been a great talker, but people love Jeff Hardy and I like I can't quite put my finger on it like we were talking earlier about some of the problems he's had I'm somebody who even knowing his problems and 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 seeing you know that he hasn't always been in the best shape for these organizations these companies he's worked for I'm still a Jeff Hardy fan and I can't quite explain it it's just I guess he has like there's some people that just have it and I don't know what it is but Jeff Hardy has it and he still has it he has an incredible likability to him yes. i think i think people genuinely uh root for this guy and and that's despite you know like what we just talked about at the beginning of the show like instances where some people are not able to get the public's uh adulation after something like that i mean even in yeah. even amongst wrestlers nate like when can you 
recall a wrestler speaking badly of Jeff Hardy. And here's someone who went to the ring in no condition to perform, theoretically putting another person at risk in a match. Yep. And yet, even amongst the, the wrestling community, you don't typically hear a whole lot of negative on Jeff Hardy. I think he's, he's someone that people see that he has a lot of problems that people hope is going to get through those problems, but that people genuinely root for. I think that there is a, there is a charisma about him as well. Like you listen to him. Yeah. He's not, he's not Dwayne Johnson when he speaks, but he connects with people. And that's been to me, the story of his career is his ability to uh, connect with people on a, you know, on a, on a natural level. It's like even, you know, kind of going back to the uh, days when, when you were reviewing impact and, Jeff Hardy did they did this stupid thing with the inner monologue on anybody else that is something that they can't recover from but for Jeff Hardy it's just kind of like eh it was stupid but we still like Jeff yeah it's, it's a great point uh Carmella's having makeup applied and then noted that she basically ba- wakes up looking like this and she's grossed out when Renee walks in and laughs oh, oh real real quick real quick let me let me go back to the uh, match because yes. I thought oh, we, we didn't be- even finish the match here. I I only got up to his shirt coming off. <laughs> yeah, see, at first I thought <laughs> I thought you finished the match, but then I was like, maybe maybe it was just in my imagination. No, we, we, we missed the entire uh, point of this match, which was uh, Nakamura hitting him with a low blow uh, for the DQ at eight oh nine, and then nailed Hardy with the Kinshasa, and then counted to ten, uh, which <laughs> I, I I liked. I liked to count to ten afterwards here, and then Nakamura's music played, but. It really did hit you, Nate. Like, this is what made me think of the, you know, about how far they will push a Jeff Hardy level. Like, here's a guy not on the pay-per-view Sunday, not involved in a program, even though he's a champion at the moment. But he was, you know, the designated setup guy for Nakamura on this show. Yeah, and another really strong TV match. You know, I I think that this was another one of those interesting combinations that was fresh. And I enjoyed it. And... I never knew that I wanted a Jeff Hardy Nakamura match, but now I'm not opposed to seeing another one. I want to see a ride along with these two. <laughs> that would be interesting. Uh, so uh, then we go to the Carmella segment, and uh, she is not concerned about Oscar. She mentions how Charlotte beat Oscar, and she beat Charlotte twice. Therefore, she's better than both of them uh, mm. using WWE math and is not concerned about anyone, the others should be concerned, and Asuka should be scared. Renee then, uh, during a commercial break, made her way to find Big Cass, who had a prop here. Uh, He discussed an appearance he recently had at a fair, and he stole the height requirement sign, and goes on to talk about how he thought it'd be a fun (laughs) day out with the entire locker room, except for Brian, who doesn't meet the height requirement, and... A good big, big man always beats a good little man. Their match on Sunday won't be a roller coaster, but a free fall drop. And Brian tries, if Brian tries to come up to his level, he will send him back crashing down. Nate. This was actually better than it had any right to be, John Pollock. Uh, I, I don't really have like um, a strong feeling one way or the other about Big Cass at the moment. I think that yeah. I, I always saw him as a guy who exceeded my expectations as a, a speaker when, when Enzo first got hurt, when they brought them up to the main roster and Cass was left on his own. Um, he, you know, he treaded water fine um, where they put a lot of focus on him that I'm not, 
I'm not buying or selling on this guy at all at the moment. I'm kind of in in limbo when it comes to big casts. I, I thought it's, see, I'm somebody like, and, and me, I'm somebody that uh, you know, even though I recognize that he had a couple really strong promos after uh, the deal with Enzo uh, being injured, I thought I, I never was into this guy. To me, he was just red red brand Baron Corbin. As opposed to blue brand Baron Corbin, who's just regular Baron Corbin. Oh no, is he um, going to be bald on Sunday before oh, the match? Okay, so if Baron Corbin's the constable. What's another? What's another term that doesn't get used? Is Baron Corbin the sheriff? Corporal. Is he, the corporal. Ah, Corporal Cass. Corporal Cass. Okay, but it, like I thought, this while not the greatest promo I've ever heard, it and and it was a long way to go. Uh, to get to the the punchline, I I didn't mind Cass's delivery. Like I I'm still not enthused and enthralled with this Daniel Bryan feud, but eh, I like Cass better than Baron Corbin. So I guess that's that's a notch in his in his cap or a feather in his cap. Yeah, I I don't know what their plan was after Backlash, where they had Bryan just beat him clean. It feels as though yeah. they decided afterwards that they would squeeze another match out of these two because all these promos, like, to me, they would have more emphasis if we were seeing the match for the first time or the first match didn't have a clear-cut finish. Um, instead, it was it, it was so decisive the first time around, and I feel this time around, it's, it's going to be the culmination of the feud. Um, so it almost just feels like the feud ended, but they then decided we're going to extend it another six weeks. And that's where we're going in on, on Sunday. And we will see kind of what level of match they have. But I, I, I think that big cast, like there is, there is something there. I don't look at this guy as just this, this hole of charisma or anything like mm. that. I think that there is something there and he's got to navigate sometimes a lot of tough WWE uh, language in the, in the script. And his delivery is there. Like he does have a delivery that is not, that's uh, not all that bad at all. So you're saying if the if the cast Daniel Bryan feud was a concert, this last few weeks is kind of like the encore. Uh, yes, that's exactly how I would. So say if it's it. an encore, nobody called for. No one was no one was chanting it. It was more just they got backstage and the production assistant informed them you are obligated to have an encore, and they went out <laughs> uh, while people were still heading out to their cars to beat traffic. History was next to be made as Naomi, Charlotte, Becky, Lana, and Asuka took on Carmella, the Iconics, Sonya Deville, and Mandy Rose. They got the advantage on Becky very early on and had the heat on her for about an hour. I think that SmackDown got extended by an hour here during this heat spot. Graves said, if Mella is money, then Sonya is a good long-term investment. So keep that. uh, Maybe Graves had some insight on the WWE stock, which if he did, Mm. then then take this to the bank. Uh, finally, Becky made the tag to Charlotte. She came in, uh, delivered chops to Royce, did the spear, then did that awful strut, and then kicks Carmella off the apron, <laughs> went for a moonsault, lands on Royce's knees, and then Rose and Deville double-teamed Charlotte. She fought them off and makes the tag to Asuka, who ran wild on everybody. She applied the Asuka lock, but the opponent's broke it up, and everyone brawled to the floor. Carmella tagged, but was knocked off the apron. So she was the legal woman, but the uh, but Asuka was not aware. So Charlotte delivers a moonsault to the Iconics on the floor. Naomi hit a 
diving cross body off the apron, and then Carmella returns, nailing Asuka with a kick, and you think that Carmella's going to pin Asuka when Lana makes the save. And Carmella tries for this roll-up. They were all over the place here on this roll-up attempt. And it ended with Asuka finally getting the Asuka lock applied. And Carmella tapped at 12 minutes and 2 seconds. So we had both women's champions tapping out on television this week. Nate? Mm, I thought that this... Well, I'll get to the positive first. I think that on this show... Between this match and the some of the men's matches we saw this week, I thought they did a better job of this is the final match before the big pay-per-view than on Raw where we just had, let's just throw all four people in a match and then rinse and repeat for the women. I right. thought that this this was a much be- much more creative way to do it. Uh, the only issue I really had with the match is you can certainly see that there are levels to in-ring proficiency. And to use Corey Graves' analogy, there are some stocks that are definitely, you know, those those blue chip stocks. And there are others that, you know, you might want to kind of tuck away for a year or two before they yield dividends. And I think that's like the extent of my uh, Wall Street lingo. Are you trying to say that Lana is Enron? <laughs> Lana, uh, Mandy, uh one of the iconics, I can't remember which. Uh- <laughs> I, I think I think Mandy, honestly, like she's she is well, even re- Carmella, even Carmella to an extent. Like, and, and the thing is, I think Carmella and the iconics make up for it with their ability to talk. But with Mandy, I haven't seen enough yet from her. Yeah, I I think that Mandy will improve. Uh, I, I I definitely see a lot of potential in her. Um, they also put a lot of focus on, on DeVille in this particular match. So uh, it was okay. I, I didn't... DeVille's I, I kind didn't. of like the opposite. Like DeVille, especially, what was the match? Uh, her with uh, the handicap match last week, mm-hmm. uh, where we got to see her in there with Asuka. I, I think DeVille has been steadily improving in the ring. She just needs work on her character. Yeah. And it feels like DeVille is the one they are emphasizing more than just Rose at the moment, who she's got the big, the kind of the big time entrance, but it seems that when the match begins, it is uh, DeVille that's kind of becoming more of the focal point between the two. But uh, it was a fine match. I, I thought the women's uh, tag on Raw was uh, the better match of the two. Um, but anyway, we had all the women left in the ring on the babyface side. They surrounded Asuka. And then they all stared up at the two briefcases, which I guess they took the Mrs. <laughs> version and rehung it with the pancakes. And Corey Graves, in case people couldn't understand what this visual meant, there's the WWE to explain it for us. It just dawned on them if one of them wins the briefcase and Oscar wins the title, Oscar could be in danger. That's a lot of ifs, Corey. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for explaining this visual. And that's how SmackDown ended. Better yeah. than Raw, I will say that. Uh, didn't have any uh, atrocious segments, I will say that. Though, I, in Raw's defense, I thought that the the two four-ways uh, were, were... You got strong wrestling on Raw that bookended the show. Uh, but in terms of just an actual viewable show, um, SmackDown most weeks, uh, I find like these two hours fly by for me. I won't say fly by... We drive at a nice, reasonable pace. I'm on the yes. highway, and traffic is not that bad, whereas Raw is goddamn rush hour, <laughs> and I'm not moving, and I'm screaming in my car that I'm not moving as there's a big three-car pileup in front of me. 
SmackDown is totally the, the cruise control show. You know, you can just click on cruise control and just move along. And again, to your point about the, the four way on Raw, while I, I really enjoyed that match from a wrestling standpoint, I'm kind of tired of seeing those, those four guys in whatever combination they choose to put them in, which doesn't bode well for my enthusiasm for the Money in the Bank match, although I'm sure it'll be good. But on this, where we had, you know, Knock and, and, and Jeff Hardy, which was fresh. We had Joe and uh, Rusev, which was fresh. We had Daniel Bryan and Shelton Benjamin, which was fresh. It just felt like there was more happening here. There was more to keep my attention. There was more to pique my interest uh, than on Monday night, which just kind of, yeah, you know, it, it was a show. Well, let's uh, go on over to forum.postwrestling.com. Uh, what do you give this show, Nate, on a scale of 0 to 10? I mean, of course, you know, people are expecting me to give it a 6 out of 10. I, I don't know. I think this wasn't the best show I've ever seen, and maybe my views are being colored by Raw. And again, I hate that this has become my therapy session for what I watched Monday night. Um, but given what I watched Monday... I really, really enjoyed this show, and I was really engaged. Uh, and it's not just because I knew we were going to be talking about it tonight. I'm going to give it. I'm going to give it a six and a half, maybe a even a seven. Wow, maybe Look even a that. seven, John. I really, enjoy, I really enjoyed that uh, Shelton Benjamin uh, Daniel Bryan match. Man, this is like Dave Meltzer adding an extra star. Nate going <laughs> above a six out of ten. Uh, okay, I'm I'm going to go solid uh, six out of ten on this show. I will I will keep it. Uh, I will do the nostalgic uh, Nate uh, result. <laughs> Our uh, forum, which is ruthless, gave this an eight point five seven. Wow! So this was a that that that's the higher tier of SmackDown shows. Slacky crazy people. All right, our first piece of feedback. <laughs> look at this. Keeping it local for Nate, Chris from Virginia. This feedback brought to you by Rough Rough Ref. Coming soon to a five dollar DVD bin at a Walmart near you. Good SmackDown tonight. Granted, compared to Raw, anything would look great. I felt that the show was solid with good TV matches all around. We can officially cancel the missing persons report for Shelton Benjamin. The pancakes in the briefcase spot after Rusev Joe was hokey, but Miz's overacting, screaming New Day, put it over the top for me. <laughs> My question to you guys is, is for Nakamura. If he does not win the WWE title Sunday, how do they salvage him moving forward? And he goes on to add, I'm personally picking Nakamura to win as he needs the title for a little bit, at least to validate all this television time. Otherwise, what's the point? Um... I, I agree with him. I well, we're we're gonna go through a preview of this, but we can uh, discuss Nakamura and Styles now. I, I think it's the time to put the title on Nakamura. I think he's. I, I really think that this heel turn has been uh, one of the better character turns in the WWE. Uh, certainly this year, I, I think it's totally refreshed his, his character, and I, I think now is the time to to take the title off AJ. What do you think, Nate? I agree, and it's not like AJ is going to be hurt by this. I think AJ's Teflon. And my, my thing about this feud is I never would think, John, in a million years that if you told me we were going to have an extended AJ Styles Nakamura feud in the WWE, that I would be more interested in the storytelling than the actual matches. Because the matches, they've been good, but they none of them have blown me away. Uh, but the, the way that Nakamura is going about this heel character and the clever use of you know the the i don't speak english like the, just kind of that 
in and of itself is a clever idea that they expounded upon. And I really have enjoyed this heel character. And I think he, even Nakamura, if he lost, I think he could survive with this character. But I do think it's time to put the belt on him. Yeah, I, I love the stuff with the pen last week. And then after yes. all that and AJ loses it, he's got the pen in his in his jacket pocket. <laughs> like he's just he's very good with just little things that he made, like with the facial expressions. Yeah, I, I think he's been great in this role. Uh, Brandon from Oshawa. This show really felt stacked. I'm glad the Nakamura Hardy match ended the way it did. It's a match I was hoping would happen at SummerSlam for the U.S. title, so it looks like they could go back to it if Nakamura does not win the title. Becky cut what I thought was one of her better promos on the main roster, and I think they need to run with her for the women's money in the bank. Kevin Owens needs to take it on the men's side. He's been beaten too too much in recent months. I've always wanted to see a story where the Money in the Bank winner would throw out random open challenges to former world champions, beat them all to build up for the eventual cash-in. Question for Nate. If Vince Russo were to return to the WWE, how likely do you think it is that he'd want to change Money in the Bank to Money on the Pole? <laughs> There's a lot of ways I could go with the setup of Money on a Pole when, when talking about Vince Russo. Uh, but no, I, I would... That that is some sick kind of uh, uh, mental torture to put yourself in. Like as as bad as a lot of people, or as boring as a lot of people thought Raw was on Monday. Imagine if Vince Russo booked that show. Yeah, I am I am stunned at Nate here. That is such an upbeat man that he consistently watches Raw and he goes through Nitro from two thousand. Like that that is the Lord's work right there. (laughs) Keep it two thousand, everybody. Uh, every other Thursday, uh, and if you want, if you for whatever reason have not been listening to this series, first of all, very evergreen to go back and watch the uh, listen to these yes. shows. Uh, but last week with Lance Storm, some are calling uh, the the best Keep It Two Thousand to date, Nate. So the bar has been raised significantly. By yeah, you la- and last Brian. week we made history. La- last week, you know, Lance Storm was our ten woman tag team match. You know, it was a history making event. I think uh, we got a bump in the ratings. So uh, yeah, if you haven't checked it out, go back and uh, give it a listen. Uh, you forgot to say, first time ever. Lance yeah, so Storm the first ever meeting between Lance Storm, Brian Mann, and Nate Milton. Yes. And for those not like Lance is a big fan of your show. Like he tweets about it. Like he is he is a big fan of Brian and Nate. So it was cool that you guys got to have him on. So I highly recommend going to check that show out. Uh, next one here is from Dave. Uh, How is it that it takes me longer to watch SmackDown, which is a two-hour show, than it does watching Raw, a three-hour show? Among other reasons, I'm not fast-forwarding through a Daniel Bryan-Shelton Benjamin match, I'm not mm. fast-forwarding through a Samoa Joe Rusev match, and I'm not fast-forwarding through a Nakamura-Jeff Hardy match. Kind of reminds me of the SmackDown 6 of earlier days. You could also add in Ty Dillinger and the impending debuts of Andrade and Sanity. SmackDown is not the B-Show, it's the show. Plus, the 10-woman tag was pretty good, too. Sign, the WWE's public relations. No, this was uh, <laughs> Dave, who really enjoyed the show. Um, and yeah, this was a this was a fine episode of SmackDown. And yes, Sanity. I, I like the fact that they they clearly do not have. Um, they have been on the road doing uh, house shows, but I'm glad they didn't do what they had with the Authors of Pain, where you saw them debut and then you removed them for yep. a period of time. And it almost it like I I hate to borrow a Corey Graves' word, but it kind of just stunts whatever momentum you had from that initial debut, and then you. You have to reintroduce them, which is not going to have the same effect of the first visual, the first angle you see from them. That was sanity. I would rather they get it right and, you know, 
if they weren't figured into this pay-per-view, why introduce them over the course of the past six weeks? Yep, same reasoning, you know, like you said earlier, why they bumped the Sin Cara Andrade match. You know, it it's it advances that storyline, but we don't need to do that this week when we're setting up this big show on Sunday. We can do it next week. And the final one here is Chris from Australia. He's picking The Miz and Sasha Banks to win the Money in the Bank ladder matches. And his question is for Nate. What do you remember of Okada or Nakamura's time in TNA? And did you think then that either would become as big as they are now? And of course, Nakamura, it, was, it wasn't like he had a sustained run in TNA. He just yeah. did like a one-off um, match, as I recall. Like he, was, he wasn't there for a st- uh, an extended stay like Okato was. Yes, and and Nakamura wasn't wasn't really Nakamura then either. Correct. Uh, yeah, not as we know him now. Um, but with uh, Okada or Okato, he was uh, he was very much like a WCW cruiserweight. Like he was stuck in this company that didn't know what to do with his talent. Uh, I always enjoyed him and uh, uh, No Limit with uh, Naito, and I keep blanking on the other guy's name. Ujiro. Yes, I loved No Limit. I, I thought that there was – is it was it No Limit or High Limit or – No, it was No Limit. Okay. I, I, okay. I didn't want to limit myself on, on that answer. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I, I loved No Limit and I loved Okada, but they didn't know what to do with him. Like if they didn't know what to do with AJ Styles, they're not going to know what to do with these guys. And so you get them stuck in one of the worst angles that year, which was the Pope-Samoa Joe feud, which included uh, – Dog fighting references and let the po- dogs out. Yeah, and and some was and this was uh you know you had uh, Okada dressed up in a mask as Okado and no at that point I knew he was a talented wrestler but I didn't know that one day he would be arguably the best wrestler on the planet. Well, you know, uh, eyes for talent were uh, were blind at that time. So anyway, man, you 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 and I could could just spend hours and hours. Uh, going through the the history of TNA. Let us, uh, before we go, let's just quickly go through the card for for Sunday. Are are you going to be watching uh, TakeOver and or Money in the Bank this weekend, Nate? I will be watching TakeOver and Money in the Bank. Uh, TakeOver, I might might just watch everything Sunday. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I I will be watching both of them over the course of the weekend. So we've got... uh, uh, let's just get your your quick picks, uh, Nate, for these uh, these matches. So Daniel Bryan and Cass, do you see this feud ending with this match? I hope this feud ends with this match, uh, and I want I want Bryan to win. But it, if you're trying to elevate Cass, then he probably should win this match, John Pollock. Uh, Seth Rollins and Elias. I, I think this is going to be. Um, I, I think this will turn out to be very good, given uh, Rollins. Roll that he's on, and I think how hot this crowd is going to be. I, I would put this match on very early in the show, if not opening, mm. when the crowd is going to be super hot for Rollins and just booing everything from Elias. I wouldn't want to stick yeah. this late in the show to go 15 minutes. I would, I would maybe kick off the the main show with this. It's not a bad idea. You know, you start with Elias in the center of the ring doing the doing the gimmick, and Rollins comes out and then interrupts him. But yeah, you got. One of the hotter characters on your main roster going up against arguably the hottest guy on the main roster uh, right now in Seth Rollins. And, yeah, I think it'll be a fun match. Seth Rollins obviously isn't going to drop the Intercontinental title to Elias, uh, but it, it'll be fun. I don't know about that. I, I it Really? Wouldn't st- it, wouldn't, it would not shock me at all, actually, if they huh. dropped the title. Yeah. 
Do you think that they're going to elevate Seth up into that main that mix for the Universal title then? I think that's a possibility that you mm. could see uh, come out of this. Uh, if he's not figured into the SummerSlam main event, though, then I, w- I would just let him roll with this title throughout the summer. I would yeah. only take the title off him if you have plans for bigger things for him because uh, this guy is the best thing on Raw at the moment. I really wouldn't yep. want to tinker with this formula. Uh, Bobby Lashley, Sami Zayn. <laughs> the video package alone should be something. Oh, yes. All that great raw footage, as uh, Wei Tang would put it. Uh, the, the raw footage to put together this promo package. This is a match that uh, I think Bobby Lashley will win. But this does, does either guy gain anything out of this match? Has either guy gained anything out of this feud? The feud being over, they will both gain from that fact. Yes. Do, do the sisters show up? They should shake hands after the match. Just thank God it's over. We made it through. Maybe uh, Zane is going to be forced to um, uh, go through like a a military tryout or something like this afterwards. I I think I I feel this this match is uh, Vince McMahon is going to get all his hatred for Canada this week Mm. on him. You're going to see the the politics come through in this match. Wow, John Pollock, you are the the conspiracy theorist with the cork board and the strings because we've got the Canadian going up against the former soldier who also happens to be in cahoots with somebody who has said something bad about Canada recently. So. These, yeah, the, the, the dots are connecting, John. This is this is not wrestling. This is a metaphor for international politics here. Dear God, Justin Trudeau is going to get a, a mouthful here, courtesy of Corey Graves, I bet. <laughs> uh, the Bludgeon Brothers against Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson. Uh, I think this is pretty pretty simple kickoff match. Bludgeon Brothers retain. I, I'll say if they got like fifteen minutes on the kickoff show, I, I think this could be a really good match. I think yeah, if this were a SmackDown only pay per view. I thought I think this could be a really fun match, uh, but because it's the you know everybody's on the same show and we've only got so many spots to fill, you know ultimately it'll be a forgettable match, uh, which which is a shame because I, I do think there's potential here for a really fun, you know punch kick brawl, you know two big hosses getting in there, uh, you know it could be fun. Roman Reigns and Jinder Mahal, uh, a who Prepare goes over. Bit. And yeah, seriously, where do you put this on the show? Do you put this late in the show? Uh, like, I would keep this to two to three minutes. Mm. I want to see it be the main event just because I want that reaction. Uh, <laughs> but if the company's smart, it's not going to you know be the main event or anywhere close to that. Um, yeah, I'd stick it you know maybe in between the uh, in between the Money in the Bank matches, uh, yeah. and basically yeah, just have Roman run through gender and get this feud over. There's a lot of get this feud over with matches on the show, John. Oh, I know. I know. Like the latter matches, you know, they're going to be pretty strong. Last man standing. I'm pretty high on. Um, I think Nia and Rousey will have a lot of heat, but there, there's a lot of matches on this show that, yeah, it, it's really going to be dependent on this crowd and what, and how much they, you know, if they're super hot for a Rollins Elias, if they're really into, um, this card up and down, which it's a very long show. Um, they're going to kind of dictate this. Um, that's going to be an interesting part of this whole feud. And Reigns and Jinder, I mean, let's be honest. The Great Khali was really teased on Monday Night, Nate. If you, if you ever wanted a way to get out of this match, Great Khali showing up. <laughs> They've always come on speed dial. Um, Carmella and Asuka. Ah, John Pollock, this this is a a match where 
Asuka should win, but I don't think they've. I think there's still legs with this Carmella, Mella is money character. Uh, so I think they find a way to have Carmella retain without pinning Asuka because she she doesn't need that at this point. Nia Jax, Ronda Rousey, probably the most interesting match in terms yes. of um, how they how they book this one. Again, another match. I like. I, I wish that this was something that we were building to SummerSlam for, because I think that the story's been rushed. I don't think you know enough time time has been given to kind of really get the motivations be- behind this. Although I did like the segment on Monday night. It just feels like we fast forwarded to the end of a feud that should have been, you know, a couple months in the making. Um, that being said, I think Rhonda got her spot on Monday night, you know, showing that she could put the armbar on Nia Jax. She got the chance to tap out. Uh, but I think there's, they, they don't have her win the belt here. I don't think this is the moment. Uh, so Nia retains maybe. Ah, then you got another kind of no finish finish. Yeah, I, I think that this one, the match placement is kind of going to show their hand of where they're mm. going. If this is going on anywhere but last, I think it's a pretty good shot that Nia is keeping this title. Whether it's I obviously not beating Rousey completely clean. Yeah, um, I, I just I don't like the idea of that story where they have this. You know, hard fought match, Nia wins, and it's the story that Ronda is still new to this. I really don't like kind of taking someone that feels very special and reducing them almost like they're like, you know, this outsider that isn't at the level of even your champion. Um, so I, I could see some kind of screw job finish for Nia retaining. Um, but if this is going on last, I, I, I'd be very surprised if they would end the show like that mm. with anything other than Ronda winning. Like, it's certainly an interesting match from a booking side of things. Because yeah. I mean, well, if, if you're going to go the full route of Nia being a heel, which I guess we kind of got the full-fledged heel move on, on, on uh, last night's show, maybe she just cheats to win. Maybe that's, that's how we get around this. AJ Styles, Shinsuke Nakamura. Are we getting the title change? Oh, speaking of cheating to win, this is uh, a... This, this, I think we're going to have a really fun match here. I think, uh, you know, AJ can't have a bad match. It's impossible. Um, I think this might end up being the best AJ knock match in the series. Uh, just cause they can go, kind of go all out there and, and be crazy and their characters are now defined. Um, now I think knock wins for the reasons we talked about earlier. And I hope we get at least one, uh, Bobby Hill, give me back my purse, kick to the nuts by uh, Nakamura. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> Uh, last man standing matches in WWE are typically pretty solid. I think they're going to get a lot of time. I could see this one getting 30 minutes, and the mm, audience yeah. should really lift up this match, too. Um, Money in the Bank matches. Who are your two picks? Uh, for the women, I am going to go with Becky Lynch, uh, with Natalia being my, my second choice. And for the men... My heart wants to go with somebody like The Miz or even Big E, because I think Big E will probably mm-hmm. end up being the New Day rep. But I think, you know, this is kind of a Golden State Warriors situation where the writing's on the wall. Who's going to come out with the, with the uh, title? And I, th- I think Braun Strowman's going to end up taking it. Yeah, I've kind of gone back and forth on that one that I almost feel like Braun and Joe are... I don't know if the briefcase does anything for them beyond like mm. where they're at now. Um, yeah. 
I kind of lean towards like Owens or Big E. Like those are kind of the two I, I keep coming back to in this match of who could most benefit from winning this versus a Joe and Braun that I think it's it's like a lateral move if they win this. I think that they're no more over with that briefcase than they are without yeah. it. And what could it do to enhance someone like an Owens who you know can talk up the the spot or a Big E who it's like that's the his big kind of breakout moment and he doesn't have to be um that guy tomorrow. You've got a year that you can really let this guy grow into the role and different options you can do with that. And just the dynamic that now the new day, there's like this weird little power structure within it where Big E now holds the the key to this title shot. And if he cashes in, what does that do for the other two? Um, this is interesting stories you can play out with that. So um, those are kind of my two picks I've isolated. And then on the women's side, I keep going back to Becky too. And I don't even know why. I think that she could really use it um, though yeah. I'm not, I'm not confident in that one either. So, um, I don't see it being an obvious one though, like a Charlotte or a Sasha. Um, I, I don't see Naomi. I don't see the Lana idea. Um, Natalia feels almost too predictable. So. Well, again, you go, you go back to who needs it. And I think, you know, out of, out of these women, Becky needs it. And, and maybe Ember at this stage yeah. could, could those, use it. Those were the two. Yeah. You and me have thought alike here i with alexa it works for her character very well but um yeah i i don't i don't know do, do you see them regardless it being split between a raw and smackdown the two briefcases i think so just for the fact of logistics uh i and with alexa like you mentioned she she really doesn't need it because let's say ronda wins the title alexa can talk her way into a match uh with, with rousey without having the briefcase um and yeah i think that Going back to your point about Big E, man, I, I'm, I would hope, man, that they would, they, you know, Big E, Owens, a guy like that, you know, pull the trigger on him before they get kind of locked into that Dolph Ziggler mode of we don't take them seriously because you pulled the wool over our eyes too many times. Yeah, great point. And we don't even know if Big E's in this match, so that's uh, that, <laughs> well, that's our, a week from now. I couldn't believe Xavier Woods got the briefcase. <laughs> Man, he went up, up, and then down, down, and then he... (laughs) All right. Well, that's going to bring an end to the show. Always great to catch up with uh, Nate Milton, who you can catch every other Thursday uh, with Keep It 2000, along with Brian Mann. Uh, They have their own iTunes feed, so wherever you get your podcast, just look up Keep It 2000, subscribe. Uh, It's a can't-miss show here at postwrestling.com. And Next week, if I'm not mistaken, we are coming off of the New Blood Rising pay-per-view, which was, oh my God, brought to you by Tylenol, if you go back and watch that show. So I just remember this August of 2000, just hating this product. And that's what you're in the middle of. Yeah, and it it makes the shows fun uh, for the listeners out there because uh, we we dive deeper into the madness of the mind of Vince Russo. Uh, so yeah, you can you can check me out on Keep It Two Thousand, like John mentioned with Brian Mann. Uh, and where else? If you want to hear more from me, I, you know I I had to stop and pause and reflect on this moment, John. You know we, we've had a night of first and and historic moments, and you know we've had this historic meeting of of two people from separate sides of the border talking things out. Uh, and if you want to hear more of me talking things out, uh, you can check me out on The Kings of Sport, which is a show that I am on with Marcus Vanderberg. That's uh, 
been going on for a, a hot little minute here. John and Way have been on the show numerous times to celebrate the milestones with every us. Anniversary, yes. Every anniversary. <laughs> because we we are not ones to let a, a good anniversary go by, John. Like that's no. no. In, in podcasting, the greatest number is zero. If it's at the end of any other numbers for your show yes. count, boom, get the balloons out and call up John and Way. Yes, the WWE has taught us well. You know, you got to maximize those milestones. Uh, you can check me out on the Kings of Sport. Uh, you can check me out on uh, Pipe Bomb Radio. You can check me out on the main event. Uh, it's a, I do a bunch of podcasts. Always Forward, the Luke Cage podcast is coming back this summer for Ooh. season two of uh, Marvel's Luke Cage on Netflix, which they dropped another uh, teaser trailer today, and it looks – I'm very excited because I've, I've been kind of hot and cold with the uh, – second seasons of these netflix shows and uh but i'm I'm really looking forward to luke cage coming back um but yeah if you want to hear about all of these various topics and and get links to the shows check me out on twitter at in the number eight m-o-z-a-i-k at nate mosaic on twitter awesome stuff and uh, for those of you out there listening to post wrestling a lot of shows coming up this week on thursday actually wednesday night we'll have a new british wrestling experience up with uh Martin, Ollie, and a special guest. And then Thursday, uh, we've got Up Next with Braden Harrington and Davey Portman. They'll be previewing TakeOver. Uh, Friday, Wei Ting is back. If you are a subscriber at postwrestlingcafe.com, we are reviewing Captain America Civil War. Uh, Sunday morning, we'll have a TakeOver review with Braden and Davey. And then Sunday night, the week culminates with Wei and I reviewing Money in the Bank. And we will see if any of our... Uh, predictions come true as you can go back and listen to these uh so nate i want to thank you once again uh for joining me it's always great doing a show with you and of course uh catch keep it 2000 they'll be back next thursday uh with a brand new show diving through the swamp that is <laughs> wcw in the year 2000 uh, guys, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see a he got flapjacked! <laughs> oh. oh. Easy! <laughs> There's no contract! Now no, keep, look, no, keep looking under the blanket. Where's the contract? New Day! New Day! Oh. 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 Oh.